Welcome back to the Brexit Brits Abroad podcast. I'm Dr Michaela Benson and today I'm joined in the studio by Dr Michelle Lawson, who's an Associate Lecturer at The Open University. Over the last few years, Michelle and I have had a series of conversations about our joint interest in the British populations who live in France. Michelle offers something quite distinctive in that she's done research on the way that these populations are represented in the media and she's also worked closely with looking at the way that these migrants position themselves in online forums. So today we're going to focus a little bit more on those media representations and the work that they do as well as how British migrants describe their lives and with what effect. Here's Michelle to talk more about her research. I started from a fairly similar base to you, I think. Um, We were both interested in the British in France and how they saw their lives, their new lives, and how they represented themselves in uh, conversation. And my starting point was from an applied linguistics starting point, which is not a million miles from sociology, of course. It's still a, a social discipline. But with applied linguistics, and particularly discourse analysis, we look at how language is used as a resource when people are constructing a version of events or an identity representation or when they're talking about others. So we look at not only what's being said, but how it is being said. So what I did was I gathered three sets of data. I looked at how the British in France were being talked about in the British press. I looked at um, about 70 or 80 articles, I think it was, to see how they were referred to. And I also um, used an online forum that was used by the British in a particular department in France, in the Ariège. It was an online forum where people supported each other and networked and so on. And then I interviewed some of those forum members So what I did as a a linguistic analysis, I looked for common themes across the three data sets. And similar to what you found, I found that a lot of the British people were very keen to position themselves away from that stereotype about the Brits abroad. You know, they don't speak the language, they don't integrate. That word ghettos, you know, the British live in ghettos where they're separated from the French, all that kind of thing. People were very keen to distinguish themselves as not being one of the stereotypes. So they often talked about things that were the right way to live in France and the wrong way to live in France. And and what the language analysis was particularly useful at doing was picking out how people constructed these representations. And what was really interesting was the contradictions that that came out. And that's that's a theme in the literature, isn't it, that people have these contradictions. They say it's wrong to rely on British networks and British food and British services when you're living in France. But on the other hand, it's actually really difficult if your level of French isn't um, very competent. So what the language analysis does is looks at how those contradictions are worked around, how people manipulate them. One of my favourite examples was a couple who said... We find it really sad when British people stick to eating British food. But then a while later, they talked about going to British food theme nights. And they represented that as being as addressing a French expectation 
the French want to know what the British eat. So we're actually addressing, we've got a duty to show them. I think that those contradictions are very common, even in our own lives, Yes, when we're talking. So I think that it's really, it's really important to remind people that we all live with these types of contradictions in some ways. Exactly. But I wondered if we could go back to the kind of the first part of the work, these kind of media representations that you worked with. And we know, I mean, my, my observation recently, particularly with Brexit, is that the press coverage of British migrant populations in the European Union, who are essentially European citizens at the moment, is quite limited. And I wondered if this is similar, this kind of limiting is similar to what you were finding when you were looking at media representations of British in France. Yes, I think that the the balance has been more in favour of looking at EU citizens in Britain compared with uh, the Britons in in Europe. And I think that's probably understandable. With post-Brexit, you mean? Post-Brexit, I mean, yes. But what I found quite surprising about some of the newspaper articles relating to the Brits abroad is that the article will give one particular perspective, giving these people a voice, but then they will often use an image that refers back to that stereotype about us thinking that every Brit living in Spain is retired and sitting in the pub all day. And I know that even, you wouldn't probably expect it of something like The Guardian, but even back in January, there were two articles in The Guardian. One of them referred to, it drew upon some recent research that said that actually the age groups of British people in Europe, the largest age groups are those people of working age, not retired people. And guess what kind of image was accompanying that article? It was um, older Britain sitting in a pub where I think the the wall was painted with a, a union flag. I know exactly which picture. That Do you, you were know that one? To, yes. Yeah. And that, the stock image that keeps being yes. used to refer to British people in Europe. Yeah. Yes, there was another article in, in the same month by The Guardian where the founder of Remain in Spain was saying we really need to move against these perceptions that everyone over here is fine, they're having a good time, they're retired. Firstly, because people who are retired are not are often vulnerable to the, these kind of changes, but also many people are working over there. So... Um, I think it's good that the media is giving some attention to the British in the EU, but they need to be fairly careful that the images they're using are not contradicting and and giving an underlying message that is actually not very balanced at all. And do you think that that's true also of the headlines? Because quite often the headlines can be quite misleading, I've realised. Yes, I haven't looked in in detail at any of the the headlines. I've been really taken by the images. And I think sometimes people will, as you say, just read read the headline and just look at the image without even reading the article. So, yeah, it could could be the case. Yeah, I was particularly struck also by the exclusions, what's not being said about British populations who live in Europe. Mm -hmm. I wanted to take you back to the research um, when you were doing your PhD research, when you were looking at media representations... What were the kind of common themes that were coming out through those media representations that you were talking, that you were looking at then? There were two or three common themes, the major themes, and they were that when Brits move or Britons move to France, they do it in a very unprepared way. I mean, one word that occurred many times was the word dream, and it usually collocated with 
words like reality or nightmare. So that you know, the dream has gone sour. The it's dream become is a nightmare. nightmare yeah. Yes, <laughs> my favourite was a half-baked dream, which. Uh, I, I really like that phrase. <laughs> and but how had that been used? <laughs> that w- when Britons get to France, um, they find that they can't live on a half-baked dream. Um, you know, they haven't thought it through, basically. And I have to say, I did meet and interview people who hadn't even been to France when they bought their house. They were really just looking for the right house, the right view, and so on. But lots of people do think it through. There are people who've spent years and years travelling around finding the right village or town to live in. So these themes, are, you know, obviously can be very biased and, and misleading. So that one was that the Brits are unprepared. Also, a common theme, which I'm sure you saw yourself, was that the Brits don't integrate. And that word ghetto, you know, kept popping up that all the Brits want to do is sit around drinking red wine and eating sausage and mash and (laughs) so on. And very little acknowledgement that actually that's that's normal. What's actually wrong with using things that are familiar to you and calling on people who speak your language, people who've been through a similar process. And this is where the online forums are actually very useful to all kinds of migrants, um, wherever they are. I mean, I suppose what you're drawing attention to is the kind of the moral framing of that discourse, yes. the moral the moral frame that the idea of the ghetto calls mm-hmm. to mind and the exclusion of what of the complexity of people's lives, which is, you know, on of one course. hand, they of course they might sit down and occasionally have some sausages and, and have a glass of wine with some other British people. But that probably isn't the only thing that's happening in their lives. It's just the thing that's been fixated on there. Exactly. And and people were so keen to make out that they, you know, they didn't know other British people. They didn't network. But of course, I, I knew all the people who I'm interviewed. They pretty much all knew each other and they'd all seen each other for dinner last week and so on. So I wondered at the whole point of trying to avoid the stereotype when actually it's one man said you can't you can't cast off all these things that you've grown up with and and lived with all your life so I do I I did question this the sense of positioning yourself against the stereotype when actually some of it is quite understandable so do you want to talk a little bit about the work that you were doing on online forums because I think that's quite different when I did my first research It was just as they were starting to introduce, I think, dial-up internet to rural France. So if anyone remembers dial-up internet. So online forums weren't really something that came very naturally to my research. Although subsequently I have become aware of the large number of forums online, whether that's Facebook or something else, things that precede that, that, that people are turning to for a variety of reasons, for support, to get information, all of those types of things. So talk to me about how those online forums, how you did that research and and what you found so intriguing about it. Well, actually, the online forum was the thing that drew me into the research in the first place. I happened to come across it and I was absolutely fascinated by the way not only that people supported each other, but also how they position themselves as being a particular kind of experienced incomer against the the newbies, if you like. 
And common responses were things like, make sure that you invite your French neighbour around for a drink and don't be dependent on the Brits. But of course, that contradicts the whole idea of the forum where these English speakers were asking each other questions. And some of the questions were really complicated, things like the tax returns and the, the different taxes. But it was clear that some people got very annoyed by the very basic questions that some of the newcomers were asking. Things like, where's the best place to buy groceries? Where do I get firewood? That kind of thing. So people didn't like the fact that they were expected to be like a constant source of information. And some of the newcomers would introduce themselves and just say, please keep any advice coming any advice, good or bad, you know, what what kind of thing are they expecting? So some of the experienced members got quite annoyed by this kind of thing. And that's what really fascinated me. And then I managed to interview some of the, the members and to ask about how they saw this kind of online forum. And they referred to it as a little comfort blanket, one, one lady said, because of the, the support, again, people who've been through similar things to them. But quite a lot of others said, oh, don't ask the Brits anything. You'll get all kinds of different answers. It's much better to go to your French neighbour, which, again, depends on, on your language skill, doesn't it? But it was, it was a form of networking and people would even meet up offline. They would have Christmas gatherings and things and... So it translated into face-to-face encounters? It did, yes, but only with a very small portion of, of the membership. But it was noticeable that use of these local forums has really declined. There's only, I surveyed two. One of them closed down. The other one seems to be a lot quieter now. I had a look the other day. And I was wondering if post-Brexit people are now turning to the larger forums, the ones that are more national, say for British people in France, rather than the regional ones, which I was interested in. Because I think people must feel that they're now part of this community of British people abroad, and maybe they need to feel a bit closer and more have more national connections. I spoke to one of my former interviewees last week, and she said she now felt a dislocation with the UK after Brexit. So something I was wondering about was compared with when we did our research, when the Brits felt that they didn't really want to be seen as part of a British community and the, the other Brits were very much the other. Now I'm wondering if it's, that's going to change and if British people in France and Spain and, and so on are actually going to feel that disconnection with the UK and turn back to the expat or migrant communities because they feel they need to mobilise, you know, to to make sure that their rights are, are maintained. So I think there could be a shift in how people see themselves. I mean, that certainly maps onto some of the kind of the discussions that I've been having through the podcast about political mobilisation among the British abroad, which I don't think we've ever seen no. In, to this extent, I mean, there have always been, you know, there have always been political parties with overseas membership. But mm. I think we're now starting to see something quite different, this kind of clubbing together yes. 
of Britishness. And that's kind of what you're talking about, which is why the online forums at the stage that you were doing your research are so so interesting. Mm. Um, and I think it is it is also probably to do with the decline of those types of uh, fora that you were looking at in mm. your initial research being replaced by by things like Facebook and other types of social media. But it might also be, as you say, a change in the current. Yes. I suppose. I, I, I do think, I think if I interviewed people now, I think the the way that they represent themselves, if you like, or self-identify could be a, a little different. Yeah. Um, as, as feeling more a part of a British community abroad. This woman I chatted with last week, she said... I would never dream of going back to the UK now and I feel European. She's actually searching about getting Irish citizenship because she does have some um, family sort of heritage way to do that. So, yes, I think I think all that is we're going to see, you know, if when we start interviewing people. Yeah. Mm. So you think that this marks a moment then where those discourses that you were looking at before by which you kind of interpreted people's identities, understood people's identities, they're shifting. Do you think that that means that their identities underpinning those are shifting or do you think it's just the ways in which they they nuance those are, are changing? Well, I think it could be both, actually, because I think if you feel different, if you actually feel that you've been almost dislocated um, from the UK because of the vote and because it was so sort of alien to you. I think that's also going to come out in in your language in how how you represent yourself. So I, I think it could be could be a bit of both, really. Yeah. People, if you feel that you absolutely don't want to go back to the UK now, more so than you've ever felt, then that's a that's a shift in identity, isn't it? It's your feeling of place and belonging has has now shifted. So. Yeah, I think so. I think that that idea of dislocation is a really strong one and, mm. and captures very, very clearly the kind of common themes that are coming out through the stories that we've been sent in to the project from British people who live in the EU 27 and also in the interview material that I've been collecting with, with British people in the lot over the summer. So I think that's that's a really strong point. So thank you very much, Michelle, for coming in and talking to us about discourse, um, particularly in representations when it comes to these British populations. I think that's a really, really useful contribution. Thank you. No, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Brexit Brits Abroad podcast. If you've enjoyed what we've been talking about today and want to find out more, check out our website, www.brexitbritsabroad.com. Or you can follow us on social media via Twitter, at BrexPatsEU, and on Facebook. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And I'll speak to you again soon.